Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices, and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is experience. So while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, it's Jonathan Strickland, and I'm here to introduce a playlist of 10 episodes of my podcast, Tech Stuff, that are all about entertainment and entertainment-related fields. From video games to television series to films to internet videos from yesteryear. So I hope you guys enjoy these episodes. You can go to the Tech Stuff podcast page and subscribe to listen to all sorts of episodes about tech from all realms. And hopefully this will provide a little bit of entertainment, a little bit of education, and probably more than a few puns because... That's kind of how I roll. Enjoy this playlist. Welcome to Tech Stuff, a production from iHeartRadio. Hey there, and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm your host, Jonathan Strickland. I'm an executive producer with iHeartRadio, and I love all things tech, and we are going to listen to another special episode in this entertainment playlist. This is the Experimental Prototype Community of Tomorrow, also known as Epcot, which currently is closed, but it's an interesting story to hear about the origins of Epcot and how it changed from its original concept to its actual execution. So I hope you guys enjoy this episode, and uh, let's take a listen. Back on October 1st, 1982, Walt Disney World opened its Phase 2 theme park. The original park, the Magic Kingdom, was Phase 1 that had opened on October 1st, 1971. And this episode is publishing on October 1st, 2018, so... I figure I would do an episode specifically about the concept behind the original Epcot and how that was different from the theme park that would open 36 years from now, like back back 36 years ago, back in time. Well, today's Epcot is presented as a proper noun. So Epcot is just its name. 
big E, small p-c-o-t. But originally, the name was actually an acronym. Now, there's a joke about what that acronym stands for. The joke says that it stands for every person comes out tired because Epcot's an enormous theme park. It's twice the size of the Magic Kingdom, three times the size of Disneyland. And there's very little shade, and the Florida weather can be a bit unforgiving for much of the year. For example, when I was there. But in fact, the acronym really stood for Experimental Prototype Community of Tomorrow. And it was one of Walt Disney's dream projects, a truly ambitious goal that he had set. Now, before 1965, Epcot was a name only a relatively few number of people had ever heard. Uh, it, it had not escaped the company and a few small uh, or a few partners, potential partners. So Walt Disney had been interested in creating a prototype city that incorporated cutting edge technology. It would have sophisticated urban planning from the get-go. And this was an idea he came up with not long after Disneyland was established in the 50s. He had previously explored the possibility of creating such a city in 1959. He got an opportunity with uh, some developers outside of Palm Beach, Florida. He had previously looked at New York as a site, but determined that that was not uh, a, a very good site for an amusement park, largely because of weather. It would probably mean that the uh, the theme park would only really be in operation for part of the year, and he wanted year-long operations because it was the most efficient use of the space. So he had looked around the eastern seaboard. He looked at Palm Beach, Florida. It would have been a joint effort between Disney's company, uh, NBC, RCA, and a billionaire named John D. MacArthur. But the plan fell through. Uh, RCA went through some financial difficulties and kind of had to withdraw from it. And there were disagreements between Roy Disney, who was sort of the financial genius behind the Disney company, and MacArthur. So they didn't go any further than that. But Walt Disney had really started to think about this idea of creating a city. And he was resolved to give it a shot if he had the chance. The first time the public got to hear at least a hint about Disney's dream of this community of tomorrow would be back in November 1965 at a press conference. This was a press conference where the company, the Disney company, revealed that it had purchased nearly 28,000 acres of land in central Florida. Now, at that press conference, Walt Disney announced that they had in mind something much more than an entertainment offering like Disneyland. Now, that's not to disparage Disneyland. I truly love that theme park, but rather to say that Walt Disney had a larger vision for the Orlando deal initially, though he was rather coy with sharing those ideas. They, the details for what they were planning were pretty sparse at that press conference, which, by the way, you can watch. That press conference is on YouTube. You can pull up the November 1965 uh, announcement of what would become Walt Disney World. At this point, it was the Florida Project. Walt Disney didn't want to commit publicly to any one plan that early in the process. He did say that he had many ideas and he wanted the project to at least be the equal of Disneyland, if not superior to Disneyland. But following the conference, there were news reports that said the site would become the home of a city of yesterday, so presumably meaning a community that hearkened back to an idealistic vision of Americana, kind of like the embodiment of Main Street USA at the various Disney parks. And it would also be the home of a city of tomorrow and that it would be at least three years before anything of consequence could be built on the site of Florida because there'd be a lot of preliminary work that would need to be done before any foundation could be laid. Walt Disney died on December 15th, 1966 due to lung cancer. Just a couple of months after his death, the Walt Disney Company sent out press kits to the media, including the New York Times. And those press kits included plans for what was to become of all that land in Florida. And at the heart of this plan was this new type of city. 
It was a city that was designed to take advantage of modern technologies from the ground up, a city purposefully laid out and integrated so that the people who lived and worked there could spend less time dealing with day-to-day frustrations and more time being productive and doing what most you know, Americans think of as being the truly American activity, pursuing the heck out of happiness. So in this press kit were concept images of elements of this city. Uh, One of those concept images showed a collection of buildings laid out around in a hub and wheel pattern, uh, what the company referred to as the radial design that would be common to all elements of this new city. You would see this same sort of basic element of design repeated throughout the various uh, incarnations. Each building uh, in this particular drawing uh, for this uh, industrial park part of the city was shaped kind of like a slice of pie, but you cut the pointy bit off. So you've got a flat part toward this, pointing toward the center, the center being a, a circular sort of courtyard. And each building is like a slightly separated piece of pie. This industrial complex was supposed to be a uh, a place where corporations would partner with Disney. They would have their locations here to create a kind of a showcase of industry at work, according to the press kit. So it's supposed to be kind of a, a a stage almost where American industry could be shown off, not just uh, for promotional purposes, but also a way to interact with the public and show off the newest of innovations. Uh, Walt Disney was a great believer in American ingenuity and innovation, and he wanted this to be kind of a, a stage for those companies. Another image included a cutaway concept of what the company referred to as the transportation lobby. This would actually be located beneath an enormous hotel, a 30-story hotel. Uh, so you have a 30-story hotel, and then where you would have the ground level, like where pedestrians would be walking around outside, you had the transportation lobby. Uh, in this image, you can see people walking around on that ground floor, and that's the, that's the domain of pedestrians. Beneath the transportation lobby, you would see uh, parking facilities and highways. The, the road was actually beneath this prototype community of tomorrow. It didn't run through it. It ran under it. Not that different from what Elon Musk has proposed with some of his tunnel systems that he would like to build under various cities. So you could argue that Elon Musk is trying to bring to life at least part of this vision of the community of tomorrow. And these highways would also include specific sections meant for specific types of vehicles. At the bottommost layer would be the the uh, the level for supply trucks. So trucks carrying important supplies for the community would actually travel on the lowest level and they would have direct access to things like freight elevators. And then commuter traffic would be a level above that, but still below ground. And then you would have the ground floor where people could walk around. Above that would be elevated tracks. And you would have uh, a system that was essentially the Wedway People Mover. Anyone who's been to Disneyland or Walt Disney World is probably somewhat familiar with the People Mover. Uh, And that would be sort of a a short distance, slow public transit uh, offering, not not a fast travel. But then across from that is an elevated monorail, and that was meant to be for longer distances and faster travel. So according to the press kit, the transportation lobby will be located at the very heart of Epcot, directly beneath the 30-story theme hotel. This will be the central arrival departure point for all passengers using the monorail or the newly designed Wedway People Mover. Another drawing showed a large indoor shopping district that was meant to hold imported merchandise, foreign cuisine, dinner shows, and roving entertainers native to many lands. So you start to hear little elements that you might recognize if you've been to the Epcot theme park, but these were meant on a much grander scale. This press kit, by the way, was just a taste of the concept. Walt Disney back in 1966, just a couple months before he passed away, had actually shot a 24-minute film about this concept. The film would premiere in February 1967, so two months after Disney had passed away. 
In that film, Disney would mention that the details of what was going on in Florida would be this experimental prototype community of tomorrow, or at least a large part of it would be. The underlying philosophy would be pretty rock solid, but Disney did say that the drawings he was going to reveal were concepts that could easily undergo a great deal of change before they were ever made real. So his plan was to build this community, but he wasn't entirely certain that it was going to look exactly the way his artists had designed it from the get-go. He mentioned that the Florida project, now called Disney World, would include a theme park that would be similar to Disneyland in California, but that would just be one small component of the new project because, again, the land in Florida was enormous. You would also have hotels, motels, recreational facilities, and much more. For example, the plans also included an airport of the future at the southern end of the property, opposite where the theme park was to be located. So the theme park was to be at the north end, and this airport would have been at the southern end. The airport would then feed into what was labeled as an entrance complex. It was a little bit further to the north. And that would be the entry point for visitors to Disney World. They would go through this kind of like main gates in a way. But this itself was a pretty large complex. In fact, on the map, the complex looks like it's larger than what was the uh, the planned 1,000-acre industrial park I mentioned earlier. That was actually next in line to the north. So airport, then you get the entrance complex, then you get the uh, industrial park. Next to the north beyond that was Epcot itself, the full city prototype design. And then at the very tippy top on the north end was the theme park and hotels. Connecting all of those elements was the monorail system. And to call it ambitious would be a massive understatement. And Epcot was, as Walt Disney himself put it in that 1966 film that debuted in 67, the heart of the operation. It was what he was most excited about. That's what the Florida Project was really focused on, was Epcot. Now, according to Disney, the city wouldn't just be a showcase for the cutting-edge technologies of the late 1960s. It would be a community that would evolve continuously as technology advanced. It would never be complete. It would never be finished. It would be a community that embraced change and advances. So, what was Disney proposing beyond these concept drawings and these broad ideas? What was the driving force behind his vision? I'll explain that in just a moment, but first let's take a quick break to thank our sponsor. Running a business is no cakewalk. There is a ton to keep track of. Employees to keep happy, spending to control, travel to plan, and on top of it all, nobody knows exactly what the future holds. Your finance team always has to be ready to change. But with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices. And that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is, experience. And you can finally say goodbye to the costly mistakes and risks that come from manual work and spreadsheets. So, while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. When you think about the future... What kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. 
explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There is still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI in revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today, I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details. In that 1966 film, Walt Disney said that the primary factor that would drive the design principles for Epcot would be public need. That designing the city with the public need in mind from the get-go would create the best chance of building a community that met those needs from the start. So ideally, you would take all the knowledge accumulated through decades of urban planning and use it to lay out a city in a logical, intuitive way so that the city is adapted to the people living in it rather than the citizens having to adapt to the city. So... How was it laid out? Well, it goes back to that radial design. Imagine a wheel, like a bicycle wheel, and has a hub in the middle, and there are spokes from the hub leading out to the outer edge. That's the basic design of the original Epcot. Uh, Disney was attracted to this particular design for a few reasons. For one, it was really efficient. Having controlled points of entry and a radial design allowed for efficient circulation of traffic. And for another... It also made it easy to navigate. Orienting yourself in such a layout was relatively easy. You had an identifiable central point and predictable layout surrounding it. So even if you got a little turned around, it would be pretty easy to find your way back to a familiar point and then figure out where you were from there. So at the center, the hub part, the middle of the circle, would be the sort of the downtown section of this community. It'd be a sort of a business complex. It's where you'd find office buildings, uh, corporate jobs, things like that. It's also where you would find major cultural centers, like museums, theaters, entertainment complexes. Restaurants would be in this section. Nightlife locations, clubs, that kind of thing would be there. It would incorporate all the elements we associate with a vibrant downtown area of a major city. At the very center of this hub would be that hotel I mentioned, the 30-story tall hotel. And that hotel would also have a deck measuring seven acres in size. And that seven-acre deck would also have recreational areas, including, according to the concept drawings, ponds, there'd be parks. Uh, The deck would be several stories above the pedestrian level of the city center. So you'd have to go into the hotel and go up to the right floor to get out on that deck. And incredibly, the entire section, this whole downtown part of Epcot, was supposed to be enclosed in a climate-controlled dome. The center of Epcot was a city in a bubble, which, if you've experienced Florida heat and humidity, was likely a big selling point to a lot of the people who were thinking about this design. Because... Being able to stroll around a shopping plaza or walk to work or just wandering downtown without being subjected to the swampy mess that is a Florida summer was a truly futuristic idea. Now, on the ground level of the city, the only way to really get around would be by foot. Uh, You might be able to use something like an electric Uh, scooter or a a bicycle as well, although that was more intended for further out from the center, but we'll get to that. So you'd really be the pedestrian uh, wandering around here because all the car traffic would be below you, it would be underground, and all the public transit would be above you on elevated rails, either the people mover on its own elevated track or the monorail on its elevated track. And, uh, 
those last two, the people mover and the monorail, would also be electric-powered vehicles. So at least in theory, they would operate quietly and they would not generate pollution. Although I've got to back that up a little bit because you have to generate the electricity that runs the system. So depending upon how you generated the electricity, you could still be generating a lot of pollution. It's just it'd be in a different part of the chain, right? A different part of the ecosystem. It'd be in the uh, electricity generation part, but not the direct operation of the vehicle. But you still have to look at the big picture. You can't just look at tiny sections and just say this is automatically better. But it was an interesting idea. The monorail would have a station under the hotel at the transportation center, as I mentioned. So uh, it would still be located on kind of the ground floor of the city itself, right? The transportation center would be on the pedestrian level of this city. And the hotel would be essentially like the lobby of the hotel, as I would imagine it would be floor two. Now, on the outskirts of this sector, the center, the hub of the city, would be high-density apartment housing. So this would be for uh, folks who are working right there in downtown. Uh, it might be for single people who are working within that city. It could be people who are working in the theme park and who aren't, you know, they don't, they don't have their own families, but they need a place to live. But this would give them very quick access to that theme park because, again, the theme park would be connected by monorail to the north. So uh, this was not the main part of housing. It was just one element of it. The Only a small percentage of Epcot's population would be living in these high-density apartments, uh, according to the promotional film. Now, the next section out from the center, so you've got downtown, you have the high-density apartments immediately surrounding downtown. Around that was a green belt of parks. So the next layer out, if you're thinking of, of it like a target, the next ring outside of the bullseye was this green belt. So you had parks, you had golf courses, sporting fields, you know, football fields, baseball, diamonds, that kind of stuff. And this would be the section of Epcot that would serve as the location also for things like schools and churches. And it would be the play space for the city where people could come and spend time outside. So this is no longer in the bubble. This is outside the bubble. And then outside of that would be the low-density housing, the suburbs of Epcot. These would be for homes with uh, uh, for families, and it would actually hold the majority of Epcot's residents. Most people would be living out in these suburbs. Each residential area would surround the end of one of those spokes I talked about. So if you, again, imagine a bicycle that has spokes leading out from the center wheel, or maybe, maybe we should say a wagon wheel because it has fewer spokes. Uh, each spoke would be surrounded by green space. Uh, the, the spoke itself would represent the track for the people mover. So the people mover track would go uh, out and back from the hub along these spokes. Surrounding that track would be this big green space, kind of like, um, again, more parks, golf courses, uh, recreational facilities. And on the outer edge of this would actually be the houses. And then on the back side of the houses would be a, uh, a road where people could drive their cars before going underneath to get to the downtown area if they uh, needed to drive their cars. Although Disney's plan was that for day-to-day -day use, you would not even use your car. You would use the people mover transit system to get in and out of Epcot. Uh, you would only use your car if you needed to go further or, you know, you just wanted to go take the family for a drive. People would either work in the business center or in the industrial complexes that were south of the community or in the theme parks that were north of the community. In the concept, every citizen of Epcot would be guaranteed a job and the community would be home to around 20,000 people. The community would be a model for a city unit and future cities might consist of several communities designed in this way, all linked together by monorail lines. And this was an enormously ambitious idea. Walt Disney himself admitted that the challenge was far too big for any one company to take on by itself. Epcot would have to be a joint effort between many different companies to become a reality. These would have to be companies that wanted to have a spot in that 
industrial complex, for example, where they could experiment with different approaches to prototyping and pioneering new systems and practices. The theme park would help bring in money to help support the infrastructure and would provide employment to many of the residents of Epcot. And leading up to this, Disney and his team had learned a lot. They learned lessons from building out the company's movie studio buildings in Burbank, California. They learned even more during the construction and launch of Disneyland. Disneyland, you may know, also employs the hub and spoke design, that radial design. You've got the castle in the center and the different lands like Fantasyland, Tomorrowland, Frontierland, Adventureland on the outskirts. It follows that same idea, and it has that identifiable center with the castle. It lets you figure out where you are in relation to everything else pretty quickly. Uh, Walt Disney learned he wanted more control over the environment after he built Disneyland. Because when he built Disneyland, what followed were all these hotels and motels popping up around from other you know, business owners. And it became kind of a tourist-trappy area around Disneyland, and Walt Disney didn't like that at all. He felt it marred the uh, appearance of Disneyland. So with Florida, he wanted to exert a lot more control over the environment so that people would experience it the way he wanted them to, and that they would not have their view of whatever it was that he wanted them to look at. For example, the Magic Kingdom, they wouldn't, he didn't want that marred by tacky hotels, or restaurants. And the company had landed some pretty darn good deals with the state of Florida before uh, this announcement was made. There were lots of tax incentives. There were agreements between city, county, and state levels of government and the Disney company. The groundwork was laid from a political and administrative side. And the stage was set. And Disney's plan for a futuristic city, one that would cater to pedestrians and serve as a platform for American industry and ingenuity, which would then be incorporated directly into the homes themselves. People would have the latest uh, appliances, and they would get updated frequently. It was going to be a, a, an a incredible city of the future. You're going to have your workplace nearby, recreational facilities at at a just a short walk away. It was a phenomenal, phenomenal goal. Walt Disney was really gung ho on this, and the whole idea of the American dream, an American industry, and engineering. So, what the heck happened? Why did this vision that Walt Disney had, why did this never materialize in this way? How did we go from an experimental small city to a much more modest, in the grand scheme of things, theme park that incorporates some, but not all, of these grand visions? And what's going on with Epcot now? Well, I'll explain, but first let's take another quick break to thank our sponsor. Running a business is no cakewalk. There is a ton to keep track of. Employees to keep happy, spending to control, travel to plan, and on top of it all, nobody knows exactly what the future holds. Your finance team always has to be ready to change. But with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices. And that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is, experience. And you can finally say goodbye to the costly mistakes and risks that come from manual work and spreadsheets. So, while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. 
When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There is still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today, I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details. On April 30th, 1969, Roy Disney held a press conference. At that conference, he renamed the Florida Project. It had been called Disney World. He renamed it Walt Disney World in order for it to be a direct uh, reference to his brother. He wanted to honor his brother who had passed away in 1966. He also talked about the launch of what was called Phase One, which would be this new theme park, uh, which we call the Magic Kingdom today. So this was the Florida equivalent to Disneyland. There was no real mention of Epcot at this press conference. That was a project Walt Disney had estimated would take probably about 15 years to build out in its entirety. But Walt's death also meant the Epcot project, as it was intended, was doomed to die. Roy Disney held a meeting with some of the head Imagineers. Those are what uh, Disney refers to as their designers and engineers, or Imagineers, imagination and engineering together. And at this meeting, it became clear that without Walt Disney's energy and leadership behind this project, Epcot really didn't have what it was going to need to get through the numerous challenges that the company was going to face in order to actually build out the city. And it wasn't just that Walt Disney had a lot of enthusiasm and a lot of energy, uh, but it was also that he inspired confidence in other people, confidence from companies that would need to partner in order for this project to come to life. Walt could convince people to buy in to his goals. But with his death, landing those partnerships with companies, which would be an absolute necessity to get the project of this size moving, would be incredibly difficult, if not impossible. So without Walt, there really wasn't a chance for Epcot as the original vision had laid it out. Epcot Center, the theme park, as the story goes, grew out of two different park ideas proposed by Imagineers John Hench and Marty Sklar. One was a project called the World Showcase, which would bring select nations of the world together into a theme park. Each nation would have its own section or pavilion and each nation would employ people from those countries to work in their respective country's pavilion. The other concept was one called Future World, which would showcase cutting-edge technology, and combining them together would create sort of what they thought of as a permanent world's fair as an amusement park. And that would become Epcot Center. So Epcot Center would incorporate some of the principles that were in the original Epcot concept, like that, that shopping district downtown was very similar in some ways to what the World Showcase was going to be. But this was going to be a theme park, not an actual community where people would live. So gone was the climate-controlled downtown center, probably the 
harshest blow of them all, if you ask me. Gone were the houses, gone were the apartments. The proposed transportation systems were no longer really necessary, or at least there was no easy way to incorporate them into the design of the park, which is a shame because, as I said earlier, it's twice the size of the Magic Kingdom, three times the size of Disneyland. Walking around Epcot is tough. If you walk around the entire park, it, it, it'll, it'll hurt your tootsies. In the original Epcot concept, residents would use bicycles or electric scooters to travel the last mile between homes and public transit systems. Those would be right out. Although, depending on the time of year, you can sometimes find a an offer to take Segway tours of parts of the park. I didn't see it on my last trip, so I don't know if they're still doing it, but in the past they have. But in the theme park's Future World section, there were originally nine pavilions. Not, not on opening, not all nine were uh, available on opening day, but there were nine pavilions that were meant to embody certain fundamental aspects of industry and the future. So here are the original nine pavilions of Future World. And I'm not going to go into all the different countries of World Showcase. Uh, there are 11 of those currently, and there's plans of possibly opening up another one, maybe two in the near future. Uh, the next one that's rumored to be under consideration is India. But let's get to Future World. First, you have the iconic geodesic sphere structure that everyone associates with Epcot. And that is Spaceship Earth. It's still there. It's still a ride. It's still operating. The theme of Spaceship Earth is communication and how the development of communication tools has shaped human history. At least in an idealistic vision, it is also about the capability of communication to bring us closer together. Uh, I don't necessarily think that communication has brought everybody closer together, but it certainly has facilitated lots of flame wars. Next were a pair of buildings behind Spaceship Earth that uh, were originally called Communicore, although they later became known as Innoventions. And even that got stripped down. So now you've got on one side... What used to be one part of Innoventions is a, a meet and greet section for various Disney characters. There's also a Starbucks over there and uh, a drink station. Uh, the other side is still Innoventions, but Communicore was meant to be the home of cutting edge technologies, specifically with a consumer focus. And I'm sure one reason it got pared down is that technology changes really, really quickly. So you would install an exhibit and then it would go obsolete not long after the installation because real world technology would catch up or pass whatever it was that was on display. So very challenging to keep that going. In fact, you could argue that for all, pretty much all of future world. You call it future world. The future is always coming. And if you don't keep upgrading your park and updating it, then it quickly ends up becoming a relic. You could argue that parts of Epcot kind of fall into that category. Next was the universe of energy. That was all about our energy sources, things like fossil fuels and renewable energy. The pavilion featured moving theaters. You would go and sit down and the actual theater you were in would turn into kind of a, a very slow moving ride and take you to from scene to scene. And the pavilion would change in 1996 to become Ellen's Energy Crisis and then Ellen's Energy Adventure. And that version of the attraction was hosted and narrated by Ellen DeGeneres. This attraction is now closed. Uh, in fact, it's being dismantled. It's being demolished to make way for a new Guardians of the Galaxy ride. And when I was at Epcot, they were busy disassembling the old building. In fact, I actually went there on two different days and the whole front facade of the building was gone the second time I went. Then there was the World of Motion, and as the name suggests, that was all about the future of transportation. It had an omni-mover vehicle, kind of like the uh, systems that are in things like the Haunted Mansion. Uh, and this omni-mover vehicle would take guests through a ride that was all about the, uh, the importance of transportation systems and various vehicles. That pavilion was shut down and replaced in 1996 by Test Track, so it no longer exists. Next, we have the Land Pavilion, which, like Spaceship Earth, still exists at Epcot. Thank goodness, we've, we've actually landed on our second pavilion that's still around. It, not all the original attractions that opened with the land are still there, however. The land is all about agriculture and food technology, or at least it used to be. 
it still has the listen to the land boat ride in it, although now it's called living with the land, but it's the same essential thing where you look at different ways of uh, growing and cultivating food. But Gone is the film Symbiosis. That was there on opening day. It's no longer there. Gone is Kitchen Cabaret, also known as Food Rocks when it was uh, overhauled. In place of that attraction is now the uh, the ride Soren, but Kitchen Cabaret was a show that had animatronic food characters that would sing various songs with hot tunes like Veggie Veggie Fruit Fruit. I kind of loved that attraction, but to be fair, I also went to Epcot when it was first opened, and I was very young. In addition, a few other pavilions were built after the initial opening in 1982. That included Horizons, that opened in 1983. That integrated the various concepts of Future World into what it would be like to live in a typical home in America in the future. And it was meant to show how transportation, communication, energy, and all the rest would come together to make our futures incredible. And the ride featured a user interface. You could actually choose options in the ride, and the ride would show you different things based upon your choices. It was actually pretty nifty. It was sponsored by GE, but GE pulled its sponsorship in 1993. The ride would be opened and closed for the next few years, you know, operating seasonally, but it closed permanently in 1999, and the entire building was demolished the following year, and where that used to be is now where Mission Space sits in Epcot. The Imagination Pavilion also opened in 1983. It's still at Epcot. It was themed around creativity and imagination, had a ride in which you encountered a character called Dreamfinder and his friendly little critter named Figment. The ride has been revamped a couple of times. The section called Imagine Works has been shut down. Part of it has been turned into a lounge for Disney Vacation Club members, and the rest is unused, although I understand you can actually glimpse it at certain sections of the Imagination Pavilion. You just can't go into it anymore, which is kind of sad. The ride is typically only operational during really busy busy days, so it's kind of seasonal. The Living Seas opened in 1986, so four years after the park had opened. It was the world's largest aquarium when it opened. It's no longer that. It included a ride that would involve visitors going into chambers that were meant to look like special elevators. They were called hydrolators and they appeared to descend in a watery tunnel. In actuality, you weren't going anywhere. The floor would shake a bit, the walls would shake a bit, and some bubbles through the windows would create the, uh, the illusion that you were descending in water. But then you would get on an Omnimover-style ride, and you would ride past several aquarium scenes before getting to an open area where you could look at different sea creatures. The ride got rethemed as a Finding Nemo ride in 2004. The Wonders of Life Pavilion joined Future World in 1989 and was themed around life and health, the human body. Had a ride called Body Wars, which used the same technology as the popular Star Tours rides would later on. There were other attractions in that pavilion as well, like a show called Cranium Command, which was absolutely brilliant, and I loved it. In 2004, the Wonders of Life Pavilion would switch to seasonal operations. In 2007, it closed permanently, and the entire thing was gutted. Disney now uses the building for special functions. Uh, For example, on my most recent visit, it served as the festival center for the Food and Wine Festival. Today, Future World has Spaceship Earth, about half of Inventions, uh, Mission Space, Test Track, Imagination, sometimes, uh, The Land, and The Seas with Nemo and Friends. Much of the theming has transitioned away from what Walt Disney's original vision was all about, largely, I think, because a lot of those attractions depended heavily upon sponsorships from other companies. And some of those companies don't even exist anymore. They've gone out of business. Some of them pulled their sponsorships. Maybe they felt they weren't getting a really strong return on their investment or they needed the money for something else. But whatever the case, right now, to me, Epcot feels like a park that lacks a real identity. And there's honestly not that much to do from an attraction standpoint when you go to Epcot. Like, you can walk around the whole park of Epcot and think, I rode three rides and there might be one more in the entire park that I haven't gone on. Uh, There are a lot of shops you can go to and there are restaurants you can go to and there are a couple of films you can watch in the World Showcase, but there's not a whole lot to do. 
when you consider how big that park is. Uh, There are some big plans for the future, including uh, potential new countries in the World Showcase, like I mentioned. The Guardians of the Galaxy ride is going to be the largest indoor roller coaster in the world, as far as I understand it. But it doesn't sound like it's going to get closer to what Walt Disney's original vision was. In fact, it sounds like it's moving even further away from that. Now, there are other things I could talk about in this episode. I could talk about Celebration Florida. That is an actual residential area on Disney World property. But it's also a radically different realization of the suburbs of Epcot that Walt Disney had in mind. For one thing, the whole idea that people would use public transit and that they would use bicycles for that last mile, that went right out the window over in Celebration. That is a very, that's very much a a you need a car to get around kind of place. So that was our episode about Epcot. Hope you guys liked it. If you have any suggestions for future episodes, reach out to me. You can send me a message on Facebook or Twitter. The handle is TechStuffHSW, and I'll talk to you again really soon. TechStuff is an iHeartRadio production. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is experience. So while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Sierra Leone has some of the world's highest maternal mortality rates. One nurse, Zainab, has not lost a single mother. This Mother's Day, join care in supporting maternal health around the world. Learn more at care.org slash Mother's Day. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.